Steve, happy Monday. How was uh, Easter weekend, man? <laughs> it was fun, man. It was a lot of fun. Just obviously at home with the family and my daughter, uh, um, her finding skills are, are getting pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> she's got them refined. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, could like legit hide them in hard to find places, you know, and uh, we had we had a blast yesterday. So, yeah. It was good, man. Cool. Lots of, um, yeah, my wife and I talked about it again last night, just, uh, you know, through all the, the, uh, you know, through this coronavirus stuff, like we've just had a lot more time together as a family and it's been great. So we're obviously uh, exceptionally fortunate, but, um, you know, uh, there's people out there that, you know, have people who have died and passed on, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it feels like forever since life's been normal in one way, but at the same time, it's also going fast. I was even thinking about this is the fourth week now of us doing these TSS episodes, which is like, holy cow. Yeah. (laughs) Holy crap. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So in one sense, it's still flying by, man. We're going to hopefully be hunting before we know it. I know. Bear season's coming around the corner, man. I can't wait to get out there. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, let's, uh, yeah, let's dig into some questions. As always, guys, if you have anything you want to hear on the podcast, just uh, send us that email to podcast at xmontgear.com. But we had some good ones come through we want to talk about today. Uh, to kick things off with a pack question, uh, this guy wrote in, he says, I'm starting to haul some weights. Uh, and then he had in parentheses 60 to 70 pounds using my k2 frame with the crib load shelf for training i've noticed that when i'm hiking i'm getting a little sore in my hip flexors i have the weight loaded higher on the frame secured with my crib so i feel like it's loaded well i'm wondering what is causing the soreness is there something i can do to correct it or is this just normal and i have to get used to it um, it could be both is the short answer, right? Um, you know, there definitely could be, um, you, you could not have the pack fitted properly and, and writing correctly. Um, it could just be s- as simple though, as, is just working muscles that you haven't worked. Uh, so I would say the, the one rule I always have for, um, when I kind of talk about packing heavy weight is heavy weight is, is heavy weight and it has discomfort to it. This should it should just never cross that threshold of being painful, um, and and that's you know obviously subjective to the user, but um, it should just yeah you're you know you get eighty pounds and then you hike for five miles it's not like you got a pillow a fluffy pillow on your back right like it's eighty pounds and it's on your body and uh, you're gonna feel it you just shouldn't the next day you shouldn't have you know in bad cases you'll see a pack where it's like you know rubbed skin off their hips and their their lumbar is you know bright red and super tender the next day um that that stuff is the stuff that concerns me if you're just a little sore in the hip flexors um you know i would probably you know review fit make sure that it is fitting you properly one thing we always suggest to people is please just like have uh put the pack on with the weight and then have somebody stand back and take photos from uh, from the front and from the sides and then send them to us. And usually if something's wrong, we can spot it in, you know, a second. Um, it's usually blatantly obvious they're wearing the pack too low or the torso's not set up right or something like that. Um, but if everything looks good, you know, I would suggest uh, just getting a few more hikes in, you know, do uh, if you hike every, you know, three days a week for two, three weeks and that third, fourth week, you're still sore in the hip flexors, then, then I would go back to making some, you know, playing with some adjustments. But, um, 
you know, just uh, as we were, as I, you know, I hike a lot. And as I was, we were training for the death hike, you know, I was um, kind of hiking. Um, like we talked about just doing like lunges and, and just weird motions, uh, trying to uh, simulate what it's like to going to have snowshoes on or even hiking with snowshoes. And, you know, things were super sore, right? The hip flexors were sore. You're just working muscles that you haven't really worked before. So could totally be normal. Could be a pack fitting thing. You just kind of got to, again, I would just go to the, is it discomfort or is it pain? You got to decide between those two. And then if it's just discomfort, um, then, then I would, uh, see if it kind of goes away after a couple of weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, when I just read the very first part, he says, I'm starting to haul weight. And then he says 60, to 70 pounds. If you're jumping straight to 60 to 70 as starting to haul weight, I would say it's probably just from that. Like it's your body adapting to that new demand. Um, you know, it, whether you have experience hauling weight or not, even if like, theoretically this guy's packed 60 70 80 plus pounds in the past but maybe he's been off you know kind of off season Mm -hmm. right like hasn't done anything all winter and he's just getting back into it to start to train for this coming fall um you know starting at 40 and just kind of scaling that over time is gonna be helpful so but yeah i mean it's it is like you said it's easy um photos are so telling um to us and so if you guys have any doubt on that just send us photos and we're always happy to help with that for sure yeah. And it's definitely, like, you have to train. If you want to pack heavy weight, we kind of, I think it was just last week we talked about this. If you want to train for heavy weight, you got to pack with heavy weight and you got to train with it. Um, if you think you're going to do a hundred pound load of meat coming out of the woods, don't let that be the first time you put a hundred pounds on your back. You know, like in, in July and August, start throwing those heavy weights on and, and do that once a week. Uh, and, and you will see a dramatic, uh, increase in performance when you do have that, uh, you know, hundred pounds of meat on your back and you're coming out of the mountains. Mm-hmm. Cool. Let's transition to optics. Last week we talked about um, spotting scope choices for high country mule deer. We had actually a few follow-ups to that, wondering about the binocular piece of that puzzle. Um, to summarize, like multiple questions, multiple emails into one, let's just begin from a super high level with 10x versus 12x binos, again, specifically for mule deer hunting. And what are the pros? What's the cons? What is your choice? um tripod mounted you know a good pair of 12s is going to be awesome uh but i think people you know obviously uh i don't know if it's just uh human nature or american thing but bigger is better attitude right not the case uh, <laughs> in a lot a lot of different areas um but you know specifically like there is a downside to 12x binos um when you're you know Basically, when you're wearing them around your neck and you're glassing inside of 200 yards, uh, typically they're going to have a a narrower field of view. So when you're looking through them, you're looking at a smaller chunk of country. Um, And then that 12X, you know, trying to handhold 12X and have it be steady, uh, the image is is degraded, right? Because there's just all every little shake is magnified. Um, I I have a pair of uh, eight and a half by 32 uh, Swarovski ELs. And I used those last year on some mule deer trips. Um, and you know, I think that's most guys would think that's crazy, but man, they're phenomenal. And, and then having that, even though it's not as magnified as much, the image is so clear. And, and, um, you know, when you're hand holding and, and not bouncing around on it, that you can actually see better and pick up more detail, pick up more movement. Um, so I think a lot of glassing 
is picking up movement, right? I mean, sometimes a, a deer or elk could just be like right in the middle of what you're looking at, but until it flicks an ear or a tail, you don't pick it up. So having the image be super steady, it's one reason why tripod mounting binoculars is amazing because that there's absolutely no shake coming from your side. So anything, any movement is like out there in the field, what you're looking at and you just pick it up that much faster. So, um, I think tens, 10 by 42s are going to be all around your best bet. Uh, just from being able to a good compromise of throwing them on a tripod, they have good magnification. Uh, they're going to let in a good amount of light, have a good field of view. And at the same time, you said you can handhold them and, and not be too shaky. Uh, you know, once you get into twelves, there's um, you know twelves are really on the border. Like I I would not want to be hunting with twelves around my neck, uh, but on a tripod to be great. And then you get like fifteen by fifty sixes and some of the bigger stuff that, you know, absolutely have to be on a tripod. So, um, yeah, I guess long and short, 10 by 42 is probably the best all around mule deer. Um, and then if you're, you know, primarily an elk hunter with a little bit of mule deer, I would not look past eight by 42s, um, or, you know, any really any eight X bino. So, yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Um, you know, it, seems like the question even comes up more from guys who are newer to Western hunting, which makes sense. Maybe they have 8X binos because um, that's what they've used in a different country. The question comes up, is that enough if I'm going on a Western hunt for the first time or I'm hunting this more open country for the first time? And I think it can be, but like you said, it's especially if you're elk hunting or again, given your expectations on what you're looking for in deer hunting, it could definitely be enough. Um, I think 10X is a good sweet spot, though. From a weight perspective, from a stability perspective, a field of view perspective, it's nice. But I would also say if you're coming out and, again, specifically just starting to elk hunt, for example, and you have a pair of 8x42s that are you're happy enough with, I would say just rock those um, for sure. One of the questions that came up um, was basically on quality and magnification um specifically this guy says would you rather run high-end glass in a 10x versus mid-tier in a 12x so take out the 10 versus 12 discussion we just had in terms of the pros and cons of the glass specifically and talk steve a little bit about magnification and quality um and then the dynamics at play there if that makes sense yeah um we kind of this comes up in the spine scope more so than the binos but the higher the magnification you know any imperfections in the quality of the glass get magnified so that's why i just really don't recommend buying a 500 dollars spotting scope you know it's not going to be a very good image once you get usually halfway through the zoom range so if it's a 15 to 45 by the time you get to about 30 um the the quality of the image goes down so much that you'll find yourself like maybe you zoom in but then you realize like you can't really see that well so you end up zooming back out um to get like a clearer image so that that same principle applies to binoculars um it's just less important right uh, because you're not magnifying the same so you're going from 8 to 10 to 12 um it's not near as important but I, his question was you know um he's thinking that he could offset he actually had the reverse logic there of he's thinking he could offset more expensive binos by getting cheaper ones that have higher magnification and that's obviously going to make the problem worse um if you're going to get cheaper binos i'd go with an 8x42 um because you're going to have a, a you know, in on 
average a clearer, better image at, at eight than you would at 12 with that same binocular. So, um, yeah. Cool. Does that answer the question? It does, man. <laughs> okay. Nailed perfect. it. <laughs> Nailed it. All right. Elk hunting. It says in several podcasts, it is mentioned you can walk through the woods breaking branches and stomping because that is what elk do. But it seems like in the next breath, sometimes people say um, that you should be quiet just in terms of elk hunting. Um, so which is it? Should I stomp through the woods? Should I sneak through the woods? Should I be quiet or loud if I'm elk hunting? Um, man, I would refer back to, I think this topic came up a handful of times when we did our um, elk round table. Uh, and that was just last August, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, me personally, I like to be, if I'm solo elk hunting, it's more in my kind of nature instinct to be kind of quiet and stalking through the woods. Um, but there is absolutely hunting with the born and raised guys, other people I've hunt with. I mean, they literally walk around and don't care at all how much noise they make, um, breaking branches. And, uh, I think there's a fine line. There's a fine line there of, um, if you're trying to kind of, I think elk can hear difference in footsteps and how things sound right and branches breaking and you kicking a rock with a rubber boot versus what they're used to hearing of a, of a hoof hitting a rock. Um, so it's kind of like the louder, the better in those scenarios. Cause it over like probably offset some of the, um, you know, just some of those little noises that elk would like perk their ear up and go, Oh, that doesn't sound quite right. Um, you know, I think like a, a good thing is literally just reach up like in a tree and break a branch off that, which is going to sound a lot like, uh, an elk horn, you know, catching a branch and snapping it off. Um, but when you step on a stick and break it, it doesn't quite sound the same as an elk stepping on it and breaking it. Um, but yeah, uh, except I've, I've been very successful both ways, I guess. Uh, I said when I'm solo hunting, I prefer just to be quiet and sneak around, but sometimes you can't be right. Sometimes that there's, um, you're trying to be quiet, but the ground is so dry, dead grass and pine needles and sticks that you're better off just to accept that you're going to make noise and then like embrace that, right. And make more noise versus like slowly stepping and and trying to like, you know, uh, work your way through it when the reality is that like the elk here. Um, and I definitely, um, I think when elk are suspicious, right? I mean, they're going to like, they're going to hear something and they stop and they're like, look, they've got you pegged. They know where the sound's coming from and they're just watching and waiting until they see like something to confirm, right? They, they hear it, they're going to smell it and then they're going to sit there and stare your direction and that's where you're going to get busted. So, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's better to kind of in a noisy situation when the ground's noisy, just to move fast and cover country. And yeah, it's, I'm rambling here, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, make noise, pick, but, um, it just, I think you got to pick one and stick with it, you know? Yeah. Um, that's like born and raised is really good about, they hunt the same method all the time. Um, you know, and, uh, it's very successful for them. So. Right. Yeah. If I'm not quote unquote, like an elk, meaning there's no encounter, there's no bugle I'm chasing. I'm just like, I'm covering country looking for elk, maybe, you know, throwing out locators or whatever that may be. I'm generally trying to be quiet primarily so that I can hear, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to be like loud and careless and covering country and, 
you know, making noise that's going to keep me from hearing a bugle, for example, um, or just hearing elk talk or what have you. So I'm generally quiet in that type of scenario. I would say that one of the mistakes I've made, and again, transitioning particularly from being a whitetail hunter, though, is when there is an encounter or an opportunity or you need to cover ground, I've like in with urgency, I've typically done that far too cautiously and trying to be far too quiet. Um, so if that's a scenario where I get a bugle response to maybe a call, um, but I know I'm not in a good shooting position and I think, oh, I, I want to close the distance, you know, 80 yards so I can get up to that spot that I see and have a shooting lane. I would just, I would do that aggressively and get to that point and not so much worry about sneaking up there, quote unquote. Um, so for me, it's kind of really situational dependent. I try to be quiet so that I have awareness and presence, but at the same time, I've learned that my nature is to be far too conservative um, in encounters and that I can get away with more noise and be more aggressive and make some noise as I'm pursuing an elk, for example. So yeah, it, it can be situationally dependent for sure. And then like you said, if, if you're making noise intentionally, um, what you said about breaking branches and all that stuff and doing that by hand or knocking stuff down or raking, and that's all, um, that's really helpful to keep in mind for sure. Uh, but yeah, it's not, yeah. And I would just, I would go back to what you said too. If you are making noise, the elk do have you pinned. Just keep that in mind. Like they're going to know where that is directionally. I think they have a pretty good idea of distance as well. Even if you don't, like I still struggle with, I'm hearing an elk, but I don't know how far that is necessarily, um, mm -hmm. especially in thicker country. The inverse of that, I think elk are probably very perceptive at understanding that distance. Um, so if you're just in these situations where you're making noise, keep that in mind. Like, have your head on a swivel, know that the elk know where you're coming from, um, depending on the situation time of the year. Also keep in mind for elk that are going to come in quiet, like that's bitten me before. I'm so focused on a bull that's say bugling. I'm in a situation where I'm calling back or raking or what have you, but then something else can come in quiet. So even when you are making noise, continue to be very perceptive of, did I just hear a stick break behind me? Like that type of thing. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, they're tricky, man. Yeah. I was going to kind of add to that. Like, I think if you can, if you're making noise, I think it's important to be aggressive. Um, so you don't give the elk time to really think about what they're hearing. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Like if a, sure. a loud noise is coming at them very fast and they're hearing sticks break, they're probably like, Oh, a bull's running in on us. But if you're like, if you're in country that's, you know, really noisy, but you're like moving slow, but every time you step, it's crunch, crunch, crunch. It gives them more time to kind of like decipher what they're hearing and, and, you know, more than likely run away from you. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, just, I think if you're in a scenario where you're making noise, be aggressive, hunt aggressive. Um, and that's probably going to pay off better for you. So. Yeah. I like it. Um, let's see. I got a whole list of stuff here with Steve. Let's pick one more. Yep. <laughs> Random one. Somebody said that more people should submit, should submit questions from Mark and Steve that have nothing to do with hunting. Oh. <laughs> I don't think that were that interesting though, but if no. you have a question, feel free to ask it. Uh, <laughs> 
Let's see. Oh, th so this one comes up a lot, and I, there's no good answer to it, but I think it's just worth throwing out there, especially, if, yeah, let's, let's see what comes of it. Basically, this guy's asking, I understand that trailheads and typical places like that are good to get away from. I feel like there's a lot of country out there that's huntable, it's public, but it doesn't have trailhead or defined access points. Some of that could even be along major roads. This guy's hunting from out of state though, and he's basically wondering if I see public land along a road, maybe an interstate, maybe a state highway, that type of thing, how do I determine if I can legally park somewhere and just actually go in and hunt that country that may be near the road, but not have, you know, an established parking lot, trailhead, etc. Um, he did specifically mention Idaho and Colorado for states that he's looking at and spots that he's found, but he's just not sure where he can park legally and just basically bomb off into this public land. What is from an Idaho perspective, Steve, what are your thoughts here? I don't know. I don't know if I know the answer to that, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's illegal just to pull over on the side of a highway. Uh, obviously an interstate. Yeah. Uh, like you need to get off at an exit, but on the side of a highway, I think you can just pull over and park wherever. Yeah. I guess I would just, um, check just to make sure, but I, I could, all the highways I can think of, it's just find a, spot big enough to get your truck off safely and away from the road you know if mm -hmm. I, the few areas that i hunt that are that are like that i i actually try to find a little you know dirt road and get my truck you know not visible from the highway right um just for you know someone drives by every day you know sees a truck sitting there you know um becomes questionable um and just try to hide where i'm hide, uh, hunting but um yeah i guess i would just if it was me i would try to find the uh, the nearest place i could park to where i want to hunt um, but have my truck off the highway, not visible. Um, but I don't think there's anything illegal about it as long as you're, I don't know if there's a, like a distance rule or, you know, you just gotta be three feet from the white line. I have no idea what that, uh, if there's a legal, uh, rule there, maybe call a, call a local sheriff's office, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be my thought is that I don't know the only way I'd say it for sure is to try to check with some sort of like local authority, but, um, and then it becomes a question too, in my mind, of what are you? Are you doing this for a day? Are you doing, like are you trying to pack right. in for a week? Like there's going to be differences there, maybe. Yeah, I'd, I'd keep in mind. I mean, theft isn't a, you know, it. I we obviously see it. I mean, how many people reach out every year that uh, are filing insurance claims because somebody broke into their truck and stole their pack and their gear? That um, happens often, but it's you know, I've never had it happen to me. But again, that'd be one reason I would want to hide my vehicle from from sight, from, you know, traffic, a lot of people driving up and down the road. Yeah. Listeners, if you have a uh, good experience or advice to share on this one, man, would be, mm -hmm. would be all ears on that. Maybe we can get some help from the crowd here. <laughs> yeah. I said, I've never, <laughs> I've never thought about it. I just, if there's a dirt pull out, pull out and park, I've never thought about if it was legal or not. Yeah. Public land, as far as I'm concerned, it's public land. I think the, the laws are, are way more, um, on the side of, of hunters than they are not. I mean, I think like you could be, you know, if it's like 10 feet or 20 feet from a highway and, and shoot something, you don't have to be that far off. Like it's, I know you can't shoot across a roadway, but mm -hmm. you don't think you have to be too far from a major roadway to be able to legally shoot your gun. It's, it's uh, it probably surprise a lot of people to know what those rules are. I think part of what he's seen too is take like Colorado. He could clearly be looking at 
I-70 just running through the state. And there is a lot of public land that butts up against that very closely. Um, yeah. In some places there's pullouts, you know, like little, not like rest stops, if you will, but little pullouts, little parking lots. And, you know, can you park there for three days? I don't know. Like, I know you can park there, but I don't know if you can park there for three days. And maybe that's posted. But again, this guy, if he's coming from out of state and trying to make a, a plan in advance, that'd be good to get to know. I remember my my very 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 first elk hunts uh, in Colorado. We were long story. We basically, got we we bounced around. We had like a plan A, B, C, and then we basically had less than twenty four hours left. Um, got weathered out of an area. It was too difficult to get back into another area we wanted to go into with the time we had left, and we were looking at that like, where can we just like randomly pull over? <laughs> and it was pretty surprising <laughs> to even look at like. I-70 and look at all the public land that's there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess for, for us, it's um, the interstate just kind of runs you know east to west through southern Idaho. And there's not a lot of hunting like off the interstate. So everything's off of, you know, heading north off of highways. And, and yeah, there's no no question there. Of, I've never thought about it being illegal to park at all. Well, listeners, enlighten us. If you got an answer for that question, if you got a question or topic you want to hear about, let us know. Shoot us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Uh, always appreciate that feedback and interaction, and we'll talk to you soon.